Well, good morning. It's great to see you. And uh, we did have, as Kevin was saying, we had a great Sunday last Sunday with the, the number of people that were here and the decisions that were made. We're so thankful for that. Big day for us. And a uh, big day yesterday here at the church uh, with the Spriggs Pinkerton wedding. And uh, not only a big day for Calvin and Krista, but big day for Kevin getting through that ceremony. And, uh, and so it was a good day. And we're having a good day today. Welcome these new members and uh, starting off our series, Viral, and talking about what happened next after the resurrection. What did God do? And how did the reality of the resurrection go from that time and place in history to spread throughout the world and to last until today? Uh, we're going to be looking some in the book of Acts. We're looking there today in Acts chapter 1. The book of Acts tells us a story of the beginning of this new entity called the church. And that's how God's going to work his plan, through the church. The universal church, which is all those around the world who have placed their trust in Jesus alone. Nothing more and nothing less. And that church, the true church, is God's plan for causing the truth of the resurrection to go viral. There's nothing like it on earth. There's nothing like being a part of it, such a, such a privilege for us. And under that big umbrella of those who make up the universal church is the local church, which is why the local church is so important, because this is where the vision gets set and the work gets done so the message of the resurrection can spread. And under the umbrella of local churches, there's our church. And uh, you'll have to excuse me if you're from another church, but our church is an amazing place to be. And, uh, place has some great people. And, uh, and we know the balancing truth that, that we're all messed up, forgiven, sinners but forgiven, but some great people. We serve an even greater God, far greater God, and uh, just thankful that we can be a part of what he's doing, a place where he is working where we're committed to remain true to his word and we're committed to reaching those who don't know Jesus. We're thankful uh, just to be a part of it. But again, we're in Acts 1. Acts is written by the same guy that wrote the Gospel of Luke, which would be Luke. And, uh, and uh, it's written as a historical account of what was going on there in the early church. And so Luke begins by saying this. He says, the first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised which he said, you heard of from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Luke's introducing the story of, that he's going to tell to a guy named Theophilus. He talks about the first account he wrote, that would be the gospel, about all that Jesus began to do. And the implication when he says that is that what he's going to tell in this book, the book of Acts, is what Jesus is continuing to do. He's just not there physically, but this is still the work that Jesus is doing. And he talks about starting here with the, the resurrection. Luke says he, Jesus presented himself alive. 
Uh, you know, some of this Kevin talked about last week. We know the apostles saw him. We saw, know that many people saw him, that 1 Corinthians 15 tells us more than 500 at once saw him. He presented himself with many convincing proof, Luke tells us here. So he not only showed up, but he did things that dead people don't do. He, he ate, they touched him, he talked with him, and he did all this for a period of over 40 days. So he didn't appear just one time. He appeared over a period of over 40 days, and so with all this proof, all this evidence in front of them, the disciples are changed. And so you know they have to be thinking, this is great. Jesus is alive. This is everything we'd hoped for. It's, going to, it's time to get going. It's time for us to get going, right? And, and, and think about it. They've been convinced. They are eyewitnesses of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the, the greatest event in all of history. So no doubt, they want to tell everybody about it. Having been changed from being down and discouraged to being up and excited, from going from fear to boldness, they're ready to go. But Jesus comes along, he gives them a command, a command that to them probably didn't make sense. He told them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait. He told his disciples to wait. Jesus they're all excited, but Jesus pushes the pause button. Wait. You know, they're thinking, what? Wait. We've, got the, we've seen a dead man come alive. We know who he is. He's the son of God. We are ready to tell everybody, and you want us to wait. First of all, nobody likes waiting, Right? I mean, you go to the grocery store, you don't go, you're ready to check out, you don't go looking for the longest line, do you? And, they, and they're, you're, you're, if you're standing there and there's a long line, the, the cashier in the next aisle says, sir, we can help you over here. And you're thinking, no, I'm good here behind these seven people. This is good. <laughs> you don't do that. You don't go to your doctor's office thinking, I, can't, I just hope that the waiting room is full when I walk in. Man, I went to the BMV a couple weeks ago. I opened the door. I couldn't believe it. You know, all the chairs in there, they were all full, and there were people standing. And I go walk in there and grab my little number, you know. I think, oh, I am here for, I don't, nobody likes to wait. You know, you don't like being at the, you're at the airport when they get on and they announce, you know, your flight crew has not arrived yet. No, nobody's happy about that. Nobody wants to wait, especially if you're excited about something, you know? Like, you know, we're getting closer here to the end of the school year. You know kids are starting to go a little crazy, right? They're, they're starting to think about it, and some teachers as well, you know? Because they're all excited about what's coming. The disciples, they're all excited, and now Jesus says, I want you to wait. It's mind-blowing. These guys are all pumped up, but they're supposed to, why wait? Why wait? This is so important. And there's application for us today. See, there's, there's this promise the Father had given, the promise of the Holy Spirit. They had heard about that promise from Jesus already in Luke 24, 49. He said, behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. This promise is coming. 
And, and, I, and if you've not been in church much, that term Holy Spirit, you know, it may sound a little strange. Uh, and some of that may be because people tend to attribute all kinds of things to the Holy Spirit that aren't consistent with who the Bible tells us he is. See, you can, you can if you just think of the, about the Holy Spirit this way, that he's simply a person, like Jesus is a person. He is, happens to be the third person of the Trinity, so he's a person who is God himself. And the good news for us is, as Christians today, as opposed to what the disciples were experiencing, is we don't have to wait. We don't have to wait any longer for him to come. He's already here, already living inside all those who are believers. See, contrary to what some people out there are teaching today, when we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit as it's described here, some people teach that that is an experience you have at some point after salvation. And we'd say, no, we believe what the Bible is teaching is that when you trust Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit at that moment in time. So the Apostle Paul was talking about when he said in Romans 8 and 9, however, you are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. What he's saying there is if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. There's no such thing as a Christian who doesn't have God's Spirit because at the moment you trusted him, he came to live in you. And as he lives in us, he does all kinds of great things for us. In fact, we couldn't even begin to live the Christian life without him. That's why one reason why it's so crazy to think, it's just sort of nuts to say, oh, at some point down the road, you'll re- you hopefully you receive the baptism of the Spirit. That's, I mean, what, are we trying to live the Christian life without having received the Spirit? That would be impossible, right? Well, you can't do that. We cannot live the Christian life apart from him. And so we receive the Holy Spirit, and then he comes in, and he begins to do all kinds of these things for us so we can live out the Christian life with him. He does things like guarantee for us our eternal destiny. He guarantees it for us. Now you say, how does he do that? Well, the Bible describes it as being sealed. We're sealed in him. Ephesians 1.13, in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed. See, those two things are tied together. When you believed, you were sealed. It didn't happen later. It happened at that moment. Having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. That word pledge could be translated guarantee. He's a guarantee of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, the praise of his glory. So we know this, when we, that moment when we trusted Christ, the spirit came to live in us, we were sealed, and that was our deposit, that was our guarantee that we get to enjoy heaven someday. The inheritance is ours. That will never be taken from us because he lives in us. He does other things for us as well, like convicting us of sin and helping us to grow in our faith. He gives us spiritual gifts, these abilities that he intends for us to use to help build up the kingdom. He produces fruit in us, things like love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. It's an amazing gift of the Spirit. In fact, the coming of the Spirit was such a great promise that Jesus said in John 16, 7, I tell you the truth. Now, stop right there for a second. When, okay, Jesus never lied, right? So when he says, I tell you the truth, you know what's coming is, is an important statement. The reason he's saying, I tell you the truth, is he's trying to grab our attention. What's coming is very important, and it's absolutely true. I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. What? How is that possible? How is it possible that it's to our advantage that Jesus isn't here physically? How is that possible? He says, for if I do not go away, the helper, talking about the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. That's the answer. How, how is that possible for it to be our advantage? Because when Jesus left, he sent the Spirit to us. The person and the work of the helper is so good for us, partially because he can be with us and in us at all times. Unlike when Jesus was here on earth physically, like Kevin was talking about last week, if someone wanted to hear Jesus or see Jesus or be near him, they had to go where he was. They had to find out where he was and go there. But with us now, the Spirit living in us, that's not the case. Because once he comes to live in us, he is with us at all times. Wherever we go, whatever we're involved in, whatever is happening, he's always there. That's to our advantage. But before any of that could happen, and before the resurrection could go viral, his coming was absolutely necessary. He had to come first. And I think there's a great reminder there for us as Christians. Because if we're not careful, we'll start trying to live out the Christian life off of some other resource besides the Spirit of God. We will. If we're not careful, we'll try to live it out of our enthusiasm. We're excited. You know, but that won't cut it for long. Living the Christian life is more than just being excited. The disciples were excited, but Jesus still told them to wait. There was still something they needed. Nothing wrong with excitement. Obviously, we don't want to be bored, and we don't want to be boring. I know some of you are hoping I work on that. You know? But one of the problems with excitement is it comes and goes. You know, we aren't always excited. Our excitement level is up and down. And if we're honest, I mean, think about it, probably a lot of us were more excited about coming to church last Sunday than we are this Sunday. And it was Easter. That's a problem. We're just not quite as excited. Inconsistency, it's a problem with relying on excitement to live out our faith. And there's another problem. Being excited also doesn't mean we're necessarily involved in what we're called to do. It's sort of like being a sports fan. You know, if you're into sports, you can be all excited about your team. You know, jumping up and down, screaming and everything, but you're not in the game, are you? You know, it's probably a good thing, right? 
You watch the NFL draft this coming week. What's going to happen? You, you turn it on, you watch it, you, you see the crowd in there on the, on the TV screen, and they're all in their jerseys from their team, and they're all excited. And every time the commissioner comes out, they boo him, you know, and then, and then their team picks, and they're jumping up and down screaming because their team got this guy, and they're all excited about it. But the thing is, those people that are doing all that, they'll never be on the field, will they? Well, we want to be on the field as Christians. We don't just want to be excited and, and sort of watching from the sideline. We want to be on the field, in the game, doing what God's called us to do. So it's got to be more than excitement. And it's not just about boldness either. Disciples were bold. We want to be bold. Being bold is good. We don't want to be like the disciples before the resurrection, you know, hiding in fear and sort of jumping at their own shadows. But boldness isn't enough on its own. Because sometimes people can be bold and they can be unnecessarily abrasive as well, right? That's not good. Sometimes boldness can be self-serving rather than kingdom-serving. We come all about, look how bold I am. Look how many people I talk to about Jesus. Look how, you know, it all becomes about us instead of about the kingdom, instead of about him. Got to be something more than just boldness. There has to be a reliance, a total reliance on the presence of God's Spirit to empower us to live out our faith. A total reliance on Him. It's like, you know, as Christians, a lot of times we'll talk to people who don't know Jesus and we'll talk to them about how they need to rely fully on Him for forgiveness. You know, what He did on the cross in payment for their sin. Do rely, trust, put your trust in that and in nothing else. And, and we're, we're constantly giving out that message as believers. It's the same sort of thing, though, to live out our Christian life. The way we explain that to unbelievers, relying fully on Jesus, nothing else, if we want to live out our Christian life, it has to be that we're relying fully on God's Spirit and nothing else to empower us to get the job done. Look more at Jesus' answer here, verse 6. He's talking to the disciples. So when they come together, they, were asking, they are asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. So he got the disciples. They're all excited, and they're bold, but they still don't have the plan down. They still don't get the full plan. They're still looking for Jesus, hopefully, to overthrow the Romans. That's why they're asking the question, are you going to restore the kingdom now? Are you going to get us going? Are you going to lead us to victory here, Jesus? It's their last hope. Actually, this is the last time we'll see them ask a question like this. This is their last flicker of this burning expectation that they had that Jesus was going to establish an earthly kingdom. It's the last time we hear it from them because from now on, they're going to be all about the growth of God's kingdom spiritually. And I think it's Jesus' answer here that helps them to finally see what they're supposed to be focused on. And you've got to love Jesus' answer. It's great. 
basically he tells them, they're, they want to know, hey, you're going to establish the kingdom now? And basically he said, tells them, none of your business. None of your business. It's the Father's plan. He's the one who gets to determine. He's got the authority. He makes the decisions. That's not up. You guys don't need to know about that. Right now, what you need to do is you need to wait. And because they waited, like Jesus told them, the Holy Spirit was, came. And they received him, and they received power. See, the Spirit had to give power in order for them to do what they were called to do, which, by the way, is the same calling that we've been given. They were to be witnesses, which is really exciting stuff. Because what that tells us is this. We're called to do something bigger than any of us. We can't do it on our own. It's bigger than any of us. Isn't it good to have something to do which is bigger than us? Isn't it good to have something to do that has something to do with eternal value? I mean, none of us want to be just involved and focusing on just what we've got here and what we've got now, and it's all about me. There's something empty about that. There's something depressing about that. There's something that, that, that any person looks at that and says, we, I, I want something bigger. I want a life that has purpose. I want a life that has meaning. And what Jesus says is that the mission I'm giving you, it's so big, it's so good, you can't possibly accomplish it on your own. And so I'm sending the Spirit who's going to empower you to be able to live it out. We're called to do something we can't do on our own. We're called to live out a life of faith and be witnesses. Witnesses in that time are exactly what witnesses are today. They were people who, had, who saw something, and then they were supposed to tell what they saw. They had seen, these guys had seen the resurrected Jesus. They were supposed to go tell people about him, just like us. We've seen him, not physically, but spiritually, we've been allowed to see and understand who he is. And so we're called to tell, 2 Corinthians 5.20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We are ambassadors for Christ. Think about that. His representatives. We can't represent Jesus to this world on our own, can we? It's a high calling. It's a privilege. It's an honor to be Jesus' ambassadors to this world. Can't do that on our own. Can't represent him correctly, fully. We can't begin to represent him on our own. Has to be total reliance on God's spirit to be able to do that. We are ambassadors for Christ we, as though God were making his appeal through us. God making his appeal through us. Just like he did through the early church. And Jesus gave them a battle plan here. When they start, start in Jerusalem, start right where you're at. Go to Judea and Samaria, out into the countryside. 
and then the remotest part of the earth. The apostles took that message to Rome, and from Rome it went everywhere. What the early church said and did was rooted in activity in which the risen Jesus was involved. Because without a resurrected Jesus, there's no sense to the church's existence or its activity. And without the Spirit of God, there's no power to get that activity done. But with the reality of the resurrection and with the power of God's Spirit, we get to be a part of something bigger than we could ever imagine. The resurrection went viral. We get to be a part of passing that same message of life on to people. That's what our church is all about. And if we ever get away from that, we should just lock the doors up and go home. You say, well, how do we know? How do we know we're empowered by the Spirit? Well, when we're involved with and in love with the things He loves, then we know. When we're committed to the truth of Scripture, He loves the Scripture. And he, at the Spirit, guided men in the writing of it. So if we ever deny the truth of this, if we ever deny the truth of this book, leave. Find somewhere that holds to this book. Thankfully, our church is committed to the truth of this book. But if we ever, ever Walk away from that. Find someplace that still holds the truth. The way we know we're empowered by the Spirit is we're committed to the truth. We're committed to reaching the lost. Because just like the early churches, they saw thousands coming to Christ. If we ever quit trying to reach people with the gospel, find some place that will. How do you know you're empowered by the Spirit? You're committed to the truth of God's Word. You're committed to reaching the lost, and you're committed to living lives of obedience. Because the Spirit of God convicts us of sin and gives us strength to produce what's right and obedient. That's what you see in a church that's relying on God's Spirit. And so what I'm telling you is, if, if we ever move away from that, Either either things need to change or you need to find some place that will do that. And thankfully, humbly, I'm glad to be able to say that right now we are committed to those things. And if you aren't involved in a church or involved in this church, then then I'd highly recommend you consider being here. Because that's what's going on right now here. How do you know if you are spirit-filled? It's not some weird mystical experience. It's 
It's not like you can you have something go on where it's like like you hear a lot of people talking about. How you know you know that you are empowered by God's Spirit is you are committed to the truth of God's Word. And you are committed to reaching the lost. And you are committed to living a life of obedience. It's being committed to the things he loves. And it's more than excitement. And it's more than boldness. It's a total reliance on the Spirit of God to empower us to accomplish what God wants done. So that people hear the message of the resurrection. Got to make sure we get it done as a church, as individual believers. And if you happen to be here and not ever having experienced coming to know him and having his spirit come to live within you so that you can live a life that's honoring to God and have a relationship with him, that's something we would greatly enjoy talking with you about. We're in, in just a minute, we're going to dismiss the service. Some of us pastors will be back here in this room, room one, this room to your right, back here in the back. We would be glad to talk with you about that. But as Christians, let's make sure that we're relying on God's spirit to accomplish what God's called us to do. Be a witness in this world. The evidence of it, again, you're committed to the truth, committed to the lost, committed to living a life of obedience. And as a church, we want to stand for those things as well, be able to see God use this church in this area to reach other people with a message of the resurrection. Will you stand with me? We'll pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for uh, the truth of your word. Thank you for the power of your spirit and his presence in our lives. Thank you for uh, the opportunity to accomplish things and do things and be a part of things that are far greater than anything we could accomplish on our own. We want to live lives that are obedient to you, honoring to you, lives, God, that that impact others for the kingdom, other people could hear the truth. Thank you for the reality of the resurrection and what it's done to our life, how it's changed us, how, Father, as a result of your own son's death and resurrection, we have been given new life. God, I pray for any here that might not yet know you, that they would come to that point of faith. Their, answer, their questions would be answered and and God, your uh, word would penetrate their hearts. They come to that point of faith. Thank you for loving us all today. And we love you. We pray, God, that we walk away from here with a commitment to honor you today. We pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much. We'll see you next Sunday.